0: Welcome back to the Football Babble, recorded on Tuesday, the 26th of September. We're a day late because, well, we'll get into why I couldn't do one last night uh, later on in the show. But yes, we're all on it. Only the, one, the only one wasn't available is Cousin Mud. Um, he's been held up with a bit of work, so Patrick, Stephen and Brent are all on with me tonight to talk about the weekend's football. I was at Anfield, so I'll probably tell you a bit about that. Um, and then Brenton was on holidays and at least we can tell us a bit about that and the food that he must have had when he was on holidays um, we're all, apart from Patrick I think the three of us me, Steve and Brenton are all dosed with colds and different things so you're going to hear sniffles and coughs throughout the podcast um, I'm not apologising it's the season for it so stick up your hole if it annoys you um, yes, we're on tonight we had uh, the weekend's finished uh, Manchester United won Stephen good result for you to get a win Liverpool won Patrick, good result for us against West Ham. Arsenal drew with Spurs, and Chelsea continued to lose games. No way. <laughs> surely not. You have, on, you have been on for a few weeks, and I know I'm talking to you earlier on the phone, you would like to get a few things off your very large chest, sir. Uh, so we'll start with you because we haven't heard from you, um, and you can tell us about the holidays in a minute. But I think we all want to know, like, what what name of fuck's going on with Chelsea, sir?
1: Fuck me! You're asking me. I want to know as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish I had the answer. Um, God, I, I really—it's—it's it's a baffling one because um, the—I think you'll—you you, know—you guys will know that the game against Liverpool, Chelsea looked quite good. First game of the season, and people sort of thought oh, this, this new leaf that's going to be turned um, is actually, you know, started on the first game of the season and Chelsea really kicked into gear already, blah, blah, blah. Um, but ever since then, I mean, it's a weird one because, you know, to look at the stats, to look at, to actually watch the matches, um, everything's there apart from the finishing. And it's it's been a season and a half, maybe even more, of the same thing. And you know, Chelsea are creating chances. Um, they're getting all sorts of different players um into goal scoring um areas and, and situations and they just have not been able to solve that problem. And I've you know um obviously been off um the pod and um for the last couple of weeks and had an opportunity to you know look at a few games and highlights and things like that and you don't you, i can't really find another problem and sometimes it actually is just as simple as they don't have somebody who can put the ball in the back of the net because you know we know that other teams have um and i think we'll talk about it you know like that they're maybe susceptible to letting in goals or giving up chances in games, um but at the end of the day, they score more than the other team. And Chelsea's record um, is scarily bad in terms of goal scoring. um I think in in the year twenty twenty three, they're like in the bottom five teams in the Premier League or something for amount of goals scored, <clears throat> which is absolutely crazy to think um but like th- there's other things that creeping in which always happens um when you're not winning games at a club and especially a club like chelsea where people are starting to ask questions about other areas and um you've seen um you know Potts to get asked questions in his press conference today about The owners going into the changing room after the game, and is it you know is it unsettling the players and is it unsettling him? And um, you know these things are are going to start to happen if they can't start winning games, and and they're going to have to hopefully try and do that against Brighton tomorrow night in the in the Carabao Cup because that is (laughs) a very very important game in Chelsea's season because it looks like they're going nowhere near um the top four even the top six in the Premier League so you know they'll need something to start the momentum very very soon but um it'd be interesting to see if you know if any of you have picked up on anything else that you think um is wrong at Chelsea or um you know apart from the, the goal scoring issue but to me it's it boils down to something very very simple as that.
0: It's, um they're just, re- they're just, they're really strange. Just, uh, you look at them like, and <clears> there's <throat> Chelsea side anyway, you think of obviously every focus on all the signings, and then um, what's went on there, and the summer in the rebuild, as you said, and obviously that brings a massive pressure. And then you bring Pochettino in, uh, a, a world-class manager, uh, that adds even pressure onto the game. And they just, they don't look any better. Um, certainly not attacking, as you said, than they were at all last year. In fact, the times have looked worse. They, they look like, the, the, they're actually, actually, I think, <clears throat> conceded. They're actually again, like goals that they might be conceding chances. They're quite good defensively, maybe that way. Um, As in, they won't concede a lot of chances, and they seem to be able to... You would expect with the defensive fields that have anyway, <clears throat> the whole team's out. But like apart from that half an hour against uh, Liverpool in the first game of the season, and I remember the game against Luton as well. Obviously, they just—it's such a strange setup, right mean, Like they just look really weak. Like <clears throat> you almost like feel going against them now, that, especially if you are Man City, who are flying, um, or Arsenal, who are defensively very sound. You, you just go absolutely at them for ninety minutes, and you'd be expecting that they're not going to cause you any problems. Do you know what I mean? It's it doesn't. They don't seem to strike a fear into anyone, and, and even like Sterling, who's had quite a good start to the season. People have said she the England squad and different things, and like that. He it, just. It's really, really straight I'm not used to it, like as you're used to seeing Chelsea and obviously having a striker, or having goals, and <clears throat> always being up there and challenging in their team. Like when they're coming to your ground or you're going to their ground, it's seems a big game because of Chelsea and what they've done. But at the minute, like there's there's five or six teams that are a lot worse than them, but. Let me if they don't get this turned around soon, it, you never know where the season's going to go. It looks, re- it looks so far, it looks really, really strange, really poor. Um, I don't know what Chelsea do next because Nkunku's not back. I don't think he's back for another couple of months. Who's not Brent?
1: No, no, and, and sp-
0: obviously not going to send anyone until January, but
1: well, Jackson's suspended now. Um, but I think he's he's. You know, that, that was stupid. And, and there was a thing about that during the during the week that Poch I think, was asked about it and just, is there a disciplinary issue? And then Jackson goes and gets booked and suspended. So there obviously is um, some sort of an issue there. And I know he's young as well and he's maybe going to have that issue. But um, and, I know Broglie came back um, off the bench, which was great at the weekend but i mean he's not going to be properly fit now um for you know at least a couple of, a couple more games i think he's maybe fit for about half an hour tomorrow night um but you know they're not conceding like they've conceded six goals this season in the premier league and which is sort of standard um for if you look at the top six roughly um but their goals for five Five goals in six games. Um is just disgusting like. it's shocking. They don't look
0: like and you'll know better than me, like, but I'm, I'm, I think Patrick wants to come in here as well and Steve obviously too. They don't look like like it usually you look at the team right and you know what they're trying to do or how they're set up. And obviously people say, Oh, well, they probably don't know who each other are because anytime the team sheets release someone's like, Who I the mean, fuck's that? <laughs> uh, one of the names anyway, but like even like obviously you know what teams like they're probably gonna do, Man City are gonna do Arsenal and that's been well set up, and well coached but Brighton obviously as well. But e- even look at like like salutin and Nottingham Forest teams are down around there, Wolves, y- you know what they're gonna do, you know what they're gonna get in, who they're gonna get involved, you know like eight noise gonna stay for Wolves. Get noise going to be heavily involved going forward. Pedro Neto's going to cause you problems out wide. Cunha, if he could finish, would cause you problems in the box. But he's going to be someone in the box that you can hit with, and he's going to cause issues. But like Chelsea just look like they literally look like they, no one knows who they are. Look like, every game there's spells that don't look like they've they've trained together. And I'm not, it's not a massive Christmas or here. It just, it's the setup of all the transfers being brought in. It just looks like an absolute basket against this season.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it's unpotty. I was going to say, uh, like, I I feel like it's a team completely devoid of an identity, um, and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact I was reading today there is only three members of the first team squad who've been with the club for more than two years if you exclude the three players who were in the U team setup, uh, which is an insane kind of position to be in when you think that there's more. In Liverpool's back four, who've been you know, with the squad, their squad for more than two years, than than the, Chelsea having their entire first team squad. I am assuming it's it's Rhys James, Thiago Silva, and well, Rhys James
1: would have been from youth level, so he probably wouldn't be included. Okay, so I am um, imagining it's Silva, Chilwell, uh... don't know can't can't think of a third right now
2: yeah it's but the, the fact that you can't think of a third player who was with the club more than two years ago <laughs> you know um like I, and i do feel like that's that's a huge part of it and i think that to your point um phil like it's the, it's that thing of like there are times it looks like they they don't train together um so it, it's a funny one like <sighs> I was what I was I was chatting to like uh, an Aston Villa fan, one of my best mates is an Aston Villa fan, and like he was stunned at how bad Chelsea were. Uh when he saw them play. And I think like Liverpool and Arsenal probably a little bit happy that Chelsea beat them to to Mudrick and um and what's his name? Casido. Was it Casido or Levy? I'm trying to think who was it that's that the Aston Villa midfield was running around on uh at the weekend Casado. Casado, yeah. Um, like, this is the problem with just buying everyone for the sake of it. Like, to have to have that many hundred million pound players and have be completely devoid of an identity is so strange. The goals are the problem, but like goals come from training ground manoeuvres and working together and an instinct of where someone's going to be at a particular time. Um, as you said yourself, like conceding only six it's grand like you'd, if you'd have given me that or if I'd have given you that at the start of the season Brendan you'd probably have been delighted with it three six games mm-hmm. um, but the fa- I think Chelsea are extraordinarily lucky that the three promoted teams are absolute pants this year um, because <laughs> otherwise they genuinely are a team in trouble because where do where did they turn it around they could have been
0: dragged into that alright they could have been dragged into that alright don't get sorted they look like a team that they look like the big team. You know the way there's always like, not every season, but every one or two seasons, there's like a bigish club, which has obviously bigger than all the ones that just sort of start to stumble. Like we had it with Leeds before, <clears throat> Newcastle, Everton Everton are always bouncing, there, always bouncing around there. You know, even when we were younger, like Nottingham Forest went down and they'd won two European Cups under Brian Clough and one league title. The next thing, boom, they disappeared. And like I don't, Chelsea won't go down. But Steve is right. Like they do look like that team this year. That's just gonna get stuck in a, in a rut And it's so strange. It's such a. I can see you, Brenton, like about a month or two away from being like, I don't even can't be arsed getting ready for Chelsea games. So I'll watch it if it's on, and if it's not, I'll just pander about and do something else. Cause it must be sickening. Cause I, I couldn't like I would do my head. I couldn't give myself. My, I know I love my team, but I'd be like, this is too much.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, um, it's it's weird because they're like they usually start quite well, like fifteen twenty minutes into a game, and they've created a few chances, and then the frustration starts, and you know it's because they don't score. don't score early when they've created those chances and you just need someone clinical like who needs one or maybe two chances um because you know the openings are there like i actually thought mudrick was quite good before he had to come off because of the red card um and you know he he set up jackson and he really should have scored a couple of times um on saturday on sunday sorry um and then like did a bucket full of chances in the second half as well um that weren't, weren't helped out by some absolutely shocking refereeing again this weekend in the Premier league um just i don't know how some of the decisions come um come to be but um yeah, it's just it's it's not an excuse, but it was just another thing that was frustrating um, on Sunday.
3: It's just it's kind of hilarious that you've spent a billion pounds, but Connor Gallagher. Like, if someone told you two years ago you're going to spend another billion pound, but Connor Gallagher is going to start every game. I'm not saying he's a terrible <laughs> player, but you just think that that you know you'd be <clears throat> in a different place than that. But I think this on the is captain. <laughs> captain yeah like chelsea won't get relegated like chelsea won't even be close to getting relegated they will hit their stride pochettino's a good manager and um, jackson looks you know kind of devoid of confidence maybe he needs a couple to go in like there's chances there i'd be more worried if they weren't creating anything and also losing games so i think things will click into gear but like with with pochettino you look at the clubs that he succeeded at did a great job at southampton the really stable ownership group at that time he had time to manage he had time to implement his own ideas after um Nigel Atkins left he went to Spurs step up again you know and you can say what you want about Levy um, and and the whole sort of Joe Lewis and that ownership group but you know they're quite well run um Spurs he had time there to develop a really good squad and he did well then he went to PSG and PSG, as we all know, is a shit show with no rules. Like it's like a, it's like a it's like a school class when the the subs in. Do you know, Neymar was ruling the roost, and you know there was there's no discipline. Um, you know, and that you're in a hiding of nothing with that PSG squad. And I just fear that if Bully and whoever else is involved doesn't just back the fuck off, that you know it, it might turn Chelsea into a bit of a, a bit of a circus again. I think they just need to not interfere so much possibly give pochettino just more time to implement his ideas like i don't think he should be a sack risk this season at all no matter what happens like, like just I'm give him time rhythm, yeah. absolutely It'll just create more chaos like i think chelsea be fine like yeah the injuries that you mentioned like Kunku was the biggest blow for you as you know he was looking sharp in pre-season and as you mentioned brent about that chance that mudrick put in for um jackson he looked like he'd never kicked a football before. Like he looked just <laughs> wrong. Though his body shape, the way he tried to hit the ball, um. So maybe when in cuckoo's back or Jackson's in a bit of form, they might bang a few goals in and they'll be all right.
1: Like, here's hoping. <laughs>
2: yeah. Is this what I sounded like last week? <laughs> Is Brendan what, what I sounded like, like last, week. last week? About,
0: yeah. Yeah, actually, you were you were in the depths. Salam. <clears throat> <laughs> you, 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 what do you say I still am <laughs> Shoes are 1-0 up here Garnaccio scored um, well uh, Patrick because I know you're shooting off to uh, go and score some goals in five aside tonight so I think it's only fair we'll leave Brenton alone for now to talk about Chelsea and he can tell us about his Italian trip uh, towards the end of the podcast but Liverpool won at the weekend beat West Ham continued their unbeaten run in the league this year and I think that's 19 games now in a row unbeaten. i think it is we'll go with 19. um what did you make of sunday and the report performance then at home to west ham
3: well maybe more interested to hear what you made of sunday considering you were you were there but i suppose i'll get gi- i'll give the, the perspective from being behind the tv screen like um good win um you know, as I'm sure you're about to talk about, and we can talk about together. Maybe Dominic Solbesley looks like <laughs> potentially s- signing signing of the summer. Like he looks like he's like plug and play world class player. It Looks like <laughs> we've just like reincarnated Steven Gerrard. He is he is fucking insane. And I think every time I've been on, I, I've meant kept keep mentioning him, but he keeps on getting better and better. It, he is just looks unbelievable. <clears throat> he's like chasing boys down like a fucking cyborg in the 89th minute, like despite being two goals up press 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 win 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 like he just he's unbelievable like and he's just a joy to watch i haven't been as excited about liverpool player in a long long time like he he looks amazing
0: see i think i've told i told i've definitely spoken to patrick and brenton this week on the phone and i don't know if i could tell you yet Stephen. but seeing the flesh he's just he is absolutely ridiculous there's bits you won't see on TV. Obviously, when you know when you're at, you know you, you know what it's like when you're at a game. You can see players off the ball, and it, it's a good. I think it was um, camera who wasn't the podcast before it said or a broadcast had said like if when you're at a game, like you get a chance then to watch someone and watch how, like a professional football player basically at that level moves and gets around the pitch while the while he's not near the ball. A lot of people always say about you know Messi and stuff how he gets around or whatever how he goes on without the ball, but. When I was watching, like the likes of Nunes, Van Dyke, different things come on and things. It was it was brilliant. But Sabajloy, the one that stood out the most, he's he's played six league games now for Liverpool, and you could argue he's been man of match for Liverpool in all six. <laughs> and he, I was saying this to Patrick I think yesterday on the phone. That team's his team now. It already feels like his team. It's really it's like. It's just brilliant. And, and if Klopp could, you'd think that like if Klopp could mold a centre midfielder, it would have been him. Because you're right, he doesn't stop. Like, and I, I think I said this to one of you, like at the end of the game, obviously Klopp comes on to the pitch and, and the managers are both on, they're shaking hands. And then I was watching Klopp because I was waiting on him coming down to the cop to do the fist pumps, And I was watching see what he was doing. And he grabs the body line and give him, hugged him and then just started like kissing him in the cheeks and getting him in a headlock. And they were stood together for about three minutes. Laughing, joking, he, he is just brilliant. He's, he's what we've needed. You know, I drove the Jordan Henderson train and banged that drum for all he did for Liverpool and what he was like. But he's—he's he's quite unlucky, and that the upgrade has been done next to like. Um, it's like taking—it's like removing me and and fucking uh, putting Pelle onto the pitch. You know, it just looks absolutely ridiculous. The difference that he offers that midfield, the pass, and there was there was even passes that. He was doing that. What mightn't have been picked up on the TV that you were able to see, like how he was able to spot players behind. Oh, it's just such a difference. He was just ridiculous, and and suppose for me, like I know I've, I wrote the the blog um last night, and then obviously Brenton was kind of have to put it up for us today on on our socials. Like it was to get back down feel obviously after um dad dying last year um was really nice. Like it was the I was trying to work it out. <clears throat> so i went to about i've been to liverpool matches i think i've been to 20 28 games i think it is i worked out in total and that was the <clears throat> that was the first one obviously since dad died apologies for coughing really lightly there but it was the this the second one without him the first no the third one without him the first one was de Bretchen in the champions league Dirk quite scored in the last minute and I didn't thank him for giving me that ticket because that was stinking, but he was still in Liverpool at the time. He just didn't want to go to the match. And the the next one was Sevilla, which was my last game, which in 2017, the Champions League, and I took his ticket into the cup. So this felt like properly without him. Um, But it was, like I, I don't know if it's the same for you, Stamford Bridge, obviously for you, Patergranate, feeling for you, Steve, at, at Old Trafford or whatever, when you get over um, I don't know, obviously for you, Stephen, it's a bit different because of what's going on with your owners and how shit it is at the minute, but it might still feel the same when you get into the ground because of the memories, but, like, since Dad, and I, I wrote this in an article, since Dad passed, like, that's the, it's such a weird feeling. The first time I have actually felt at peace with it and as if, i fell felt him with me sometimes because I have his car now, or as Phoenix tell everyone I stole my dead dad's car, but I, like, <laughs> Uh, he, you know I, <laughs> he does he generally does do that I just like it just was such a weird but such a peaceful feeling to have him. like a felt like he was with me we're watching the match and different things but I kept taking moments where I was that's why I'm even more hoarse now where I wasn't shouting and roaring uh, at the referee or at uh, West Ham players or for Liverpool players to do something where I was just watching around me I don't know if you used to it when you're at a live event say like a sporting event I was just watching Remy as he was going on and people mingling and it was just, oh, it was an unbelievable feeling. It's almost like I needed it. Not that I'm struggling or anything, because I don't think I am. Like, I constantly make fun of him being dead. And it's totally <laughs> healthy. But it was just like, like, uh, and I make fun of my mum having cancer too. And she's just finished her stem cells treatment. It's just how I get through it. Like, but um It's just like, yeah, I, but it just was a really nice moment. And then to watch, like, Steve's going to laugh at me. I know he is. and I'm going to set myself up for this, for this. He's going to tee me off, but... This Liverpool side, and we talked about this in the group chat earlier, and we're going to talk about it now because it's a good chat. This Liverpool side feels, and I said it to Patrick, that they might be brewing something special in this Liverpool side. There's not an ounce of fear in them. And last year they would have buckled. And, and Steve was pointing out, and you can come in now and point out because great points about if you're going to make the title challenge, you need to stop conceding goals, which is a fair point, I think. But they, they didn't buckle they do not fear anyone. There's such there's such a confidence oozing throughout every player. One that has hardly got mentioned, It's don't even just mean in this podcast, I mean in general, is Curtis Jones. Curtis Jones did stand on Sunday and he was a link-up play. He was constantly able to win. <clears throat> now, the first 20 minutes, West Ham's midfield were on top of Liverpool and McAllister was struggling, I thought, that anyone that watched it might agree or not, but I thought he really struggled the first 20 minutes especially. De- definitely. And then. and it, part of it was, the problem was that Curtis Jones wasn't getting into the game and he was sort of, he was pushing up high. Gomez was coming into that interverted right position. Robertson was going down a lot of space and then whenever the ball was breaking or something was happening, Cass was on his own and there's a lot of space and those two cracks, so you check and Alvarez were just able to, pardon me, pounce on him. But then something tweaked and Curtis Jones, especially the second half, came into it and he kept the ball so well and it's the small little touches. I know he's a bald fraud but Pep used to talk about those the little touches, and the, he called it, what I think he called it the half touch or something, he made some daft name about it, but it's a little touch before the, the main pass to keep the ball moving. Curtis Jones is constantly involved doing that. He's constantly like a, a little wall for players, for an out, an out wall, we'll call it, where players player will bounce the ball off him and away they go, or he'll, he'll skip past someone and the next thing Liverpool will put back on the front foot. I thought he was excellent. Um, and it was just—it was, it was a great day. Apart from a flight being cancelled on the way home, but um, yeah, Steve, we talked about it in the group chat earlier. So I think it's good to get into it, like about the the ex- the the goals and the of Liverpool conceding because for you that would be probably the one issue that you don't think they could maybe beat, let's say, Man City for the title this year.
2: Time for me to shit all over your hopes and dreams. Um... No, I,
0: I don't. I think you were actually quite level-headed earlier, and when I looked it up. Like it, you're bang on. Look, yeah, look, it's, it's right in the middle of the leagues.
2: I, I I think there's a couple of things, right? I think Sabozalai is a fantastic footballer. But why he looks so good is because Jordan Henderson was so bad for the last two years and nobody would admit it, <laughs> right? Um, everyone tried to tell Liverpool fans that Jordan Henderson had lost it the last two years and nobody would listen. But this is what it's like when a player passes the ball forwards. Right, <laughs> um, it's actually exciting and it helps your team score goals, um. But I do think, j- jokes aside, I think he's a phenomenal player. He's absolutely like, if he continues this, he's no doubt the 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 signing of the season. I've no doubt about that at all. Um, but I do think you mentioned it there that there's a confidence who's in through Liverpool at the moment and that they're a team built on confidence. That confidence comes from in the four games I've watched them this season. In three of them, they should have been two or three goals down at halftime, and have come back and won comfortably. They haven't looked like losing any of those games. The Newcastle game was the only game where it looked like they might need, they might have to settle for a draw or whatever until they obviously scored very late on and took Newcastle. So it's grand. But I do think that there's going to be one of those games where they don't come back, and it's I, I don't I'm not I'm not. Technically knowledgeable enough to know what's happening, but I can I read a lot of smarter people than me who are saying Klopp is setting the team up one way for the first 20 30 minutes of a game and trying to do something every single game, then having to adapt it. And as soon as he adapts it, Liverpool go and score three goals. Like, so why not just set the team up like that to begin with? You know, my worry would be that, and, and like they haven't, they're the second best defensive record in the league. It's not that they are conceding. It's the fact against Bournemouth they should have been three down against Wolves they should have been two down against Newcastle I think it was two they should have been like behind. There's there's yeah. Alison made yeah. an unbelievable save yeah. which he tends sea. to do. Yeah yeah. And and look, that's that's what it they is. Look, as well you've obviously had injuries and suspensions uh, you know in in that back line, so that's going to have an impact. But I wonder how much of this the Rupal current form pops and falls down. With one bad result, I, I, I agree. Think they are a yeah. Team. yeah, I think.
0: Yeah, um, I think that's the true test really for this Liverpool side. It's they're not going to win every game. Um, they're going to get beat sooner rather than later because it's going to happen over all the comp. Every comp, all the competitions are in. Someone's going to catch them. They're going to get beat, or even if up against, say like. <clears throat> Pardon me, Arsenal or Man City soon. We they have a big game on Saturday against Spurs at half five. <clears throat> It'll be interesting to see how they cope with that. But you're right. Like I noticed it too on um on Sunday he he started a certain way and he's trying to get Gomez to do the introverted right position again. As I said, whatever way he had Robertson moving and and then sometimes Gomez was really high up and then the right position in midfield and it wasn't sinking and. Like it came out, when they came out the second half something just changed and clicked and West Ham couldn't get out of Liverpool's uh looking out of their own half sorry for 20-25 minutes they're just all over them they're animals so it, I don't know what's going to happen but I do think I think Liverpool can, can win stuff this year <clears throat> hopefully it's the Europa League um, and I think they'll obviously make the top four and I, in my opinion I don't think there's another team there's Man City and then I think it's Liverpool and as you said you said Brighton, Arsenal. Brighton, I think, I little think little. Brighton are going to be there. I think
2: they'll struggle against the smaller teams, but I think they've got wins <laughs> think, against the bigger teams.
0: Yeah, we mentioned Brighton, and we're all in. I said, could Brighton not maybe challenge for the league this year? And then next thing, Aek Athens
2: him in the yeah.
0: Europa League, which is such a strange result. But I haven't been overly impressed with Arsenal yet, and it's not a dig at Mud because he's not on the pod and he knows this. I haven't been. You think he said it himself they look <clears throat> where Liverpool. Pardon me. Look as if they have a new lease of life. Look as if they're ready to spring and ready to go after Man City and fight with them as long as they can. Arsenal look a bit like steel bar in the PSV game. They look a bit like there's something just not fully right there with Arsenal yet. Um, and and they're gonna if they're gonna rely on Jesus to score all their goals, I I don't think that'll work because he's proven that he can't. <clears throat> he can score goals, but he can't stay fit.
3: I think Arsenal are short of a nine and we're still short of a six. And I think that's why it's gonna be very hard for either of us to catch City. Um because for Liverpool, if you're playing McAllister as a six, I think that's fine against West Ham, that's fine against, you know, some of the smaller teams. But if we go into a game against City or or, or Arsenal with McAllister as a six, I wouldn't I wouldn't trust this. Um we're still giving up lots of chances, as Steve says, L- lots of headed chances um within the Allison would be fucked. And Arsenal are the same. If they had a striker, you know, I think I think that's still the gap to to the chasing pack to Man City. Yeah,
0: I'd agree with that. Um, I, I, and I don't think it changes for Liverpool until the summer. So it's it's learning <laughs> how to do more of the six. Um, but yeah, an I, I, unbelievable just to get over the. Dan field and also thanks to Maddie and Stevie for sorting me out with the ticket and stuff and looking after me. Um they're very, very kind, two very very kind lads, two gentlemen. Uh but a great day, a great day's crack. Actually was in a, I don't know if i say this to Steve, but I was in um I was in a group but I had a ticket up my own, but it turns out I was in with a group of mates who are all dads and lads. And I was I had taken one of the, the fella's dad's ticket. Um, so it was quite nice like it was sort of dads and lads I was telling them the crack and different things and there was at one point during the game then the four of us were sitting facing the pitch so we were down at the lower Kenny end towards the cop, facing it side on and we were all just talking to each other but watching we never met each other before like but watching the game and everyone just kept saying like things like the young lab said we kept going I can't believe we fucking signed like and his dad was like I oh, know he's too he's so good and then like Nunes do something like will Darwin, which by the way, Newman, and his movement off the ball is absolutely ridiculous. He's brilliant. I think Patrick's had to go there because he's um, he's playing football. By the way, folks, you mightn't hear him the rest of the pub, but and then there'd be other times you'd be like someone would shout at the referee and we'd all join in. It was quite a nice special moment. Like so, I hope you all get that. Like at your own games, if you get to your grounds this year, I don't know whether you are all planned it, but um, it's very special for me. So I hope I get that feeling every time I get downfield because it'd be quite nice, although it'd be quite expensive because I'll probably have to do it a lot then. And um, I don't think they're ever impressed with that, but I think Liverpool are looking good this year. But I, I they're also they're going to be chaotic. we'll Put it that way. I think we've said that before. Um, but Stephen, speaking of chaos, as we're rattling through a bit of football, and then we'll talk about a bit of a bit of life and holidays and how things go on for Brenton and different things. Um, Manchester United beat Burnley. Johnny Evans started. Johnny Evans played well. Played like Messi. Yeah, Bruno Fernandes scored an average goal, which <laughs> will probably win goal of the month. Well, no, it won't, because Darwin's is better, but we'll get in that later. Um, But all in all, a win. You're winning tonight. I think it's still 2-0 you went tonight in the yeah, League Cup. Yeah. Um, I saw when he came out, Ten Hag got a bit of a round of applause with the fans, and everything like, seemed to look okay. I know it was Burnley. I know the percentage of possession wasn't great, but it doesn't really matter when it finishes 1-0. How are things looking nice since last week's
2: depression session? For you <laughs> no, us? it's still the same. Like no. <laughs> Rizo, Rizo, friend of the pod, texted me, and he was like, "Look, I don't care about the performance. I'll take the three points in a clean sheet, and that's fair enough." But you know, the performance wasn't great. Uh, it it really, really wasn't. Um, they need to drop Marcus Rashford. I think a lot of their problems going forward and at the back. Are fixed if they drop Marcus Rashford. I said it on this this podcast last week. I'll always love him for the stuff he's done outside of football, which is obviously much bigger than the sport itself. But he's a liability both going forward in his refusal to pass to anyone to his right at any one, you know, at any moment, um, and his tracking back. His trank back is just, it's it's going to be absolutely exposed. And like, there's no point in having a press if one person isn't pressing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Brighton figured that out really quickly that they just, you know, and that game was, was, it's, I'm surprised that, like, it hasn't happened more often this season. Because once Brighton decided that they'd go through the Rashford channel uh, to beat the press every time, it worked, you know? Um, and it's a shame because, like, I think Holland uh, looks good. Um, there's a bit about him. I think if you know they can, they like they would love to play the teams like Burnley. He don't offer a huge amount going forward every week. Um, but I do think what's starting to look good, um, and there were signs for last season, is the set piece. You know, they scored tonight with Casemiro Hedo from a corner. I, I thought they scored a perfectly good goal from a corner, um, you know, against Burnley as well. You know, it's okay for Manchester City players to stand in front of the goalkeeper uh, and not be offside. So I <laughs> hear Manchester United players punished. Um
0: just on that, sorry. Just on that. <clears throat> on Sunday, right? Paqueta's stood, by the way, I forgot to mention him, he's he thought it was the best performance by away player I've ever seen at Anfield. He was a freak. And Paquetta stood one foot in Liverpool's goal and one foot over the line. And the corner came in and he wasn't offside. Yeah. Surely when the ball's hit, then, is he not offside? I was really confused. He did it twice.
1: Is that like a. Is he like trying to get round some sort of rule by starting like.
0: I I don't know because obviously his foot is. The ball was in the, the semicircle for the corner piece. And so he's ahead goals. of the ball. Yeah. He's yeah. he was starting in our goal twice. And um it, they didn't score obviously from it. Um but twice. But also then. is he not technically off the field of play, so has to be invited back on. <laughs> like that's that's why I was sorry, I don't to interrupt your point. but that's why I was like, why is this why is that yeah. well, If that's the case, he's he's, he's obviously trying something.
2: Then. You know to circumnavigate yeah. the rules or whatever, but yeah. you know it's not working. I didn't
0: understand Johnny Evans goal being this way either. I don't really.
2: Well, yeah, I don't understand that... half of it anymore. No, and this is this is the issue. Like, there's there's so much confusion, and like, not to get into a referee bashing session again, but like, there wasn't a single game this weekend where I felt that anything that I watched anyway. I think I watched four games, um, where a referee hadn't made a like a fairly obvious mistake. You know, I know like both Arsenal and Spurs fans were unhappy with the ref. Brendan, you mentioned that, you know, um, Paul, my Aston Villa sporting friend, you know, wasn't a fan of the ref either. Like, there's it's insane that, like, they can just still be so bad. You know, it comes back to what I said there's no accountability. It's always coming back to this. You know, Klopp or Pochettino or Ten Hag have a nightmare in terms of coaching, they have to go out and face the media straight after the game referee yep. doesn't you know um onana has a howler in goals and he demands to speak to the the <laughs> CBS <laughs> broadcast after the game, you know. Um I don't know what United you know, have got into there. I don't know how they've somehow got worse the goalkeeper than David De Gea, but they somehow have. Um oh, no no <laughs> it's just <I> <laughs> it's just actually unbelievable. Like the thing the is, thing, oh, people forget, right? De Gea had those mistakes in him as well. He just made so many great saves. You forgot about that. He, you know, he led in an awful lot. He mm-hmm. shouldn't have. Um, but yeah, Manchester United, uh, a work in progress for 10 years and will continue to be for the next 10 years is how I think I feel about it. I will say though, I, it's one thing, and I thought your piece, I thought the thing you wrote was amazing. And I've always been very much of the opinion that and I I think we've spoken slightly about this before but like I'm not going to force my kids or ask my kids to support the teams that I support and it's not just because they're crap now (laughs) and it's this sport is cyclical right and teams that are good now will be bad in 10 years and vice versa and stuff like that right yeah I've always just been like look let them let them make their own way in life but then I read something like that and you know what you had with your dad and you know what like a lot of people have with their parents and, or, and with their kids. And I won't have that. Right. Um, cause I don't have with my parents, you know, other than my parents text when they lose. Um, <laughs> and, and like that, that's our bond over football, you know, uh, it's very different, but there's <clears> something <throat> in yours that makes me like, there was something in that piece that made me like really reconsider, like, cause you went through the bad times together. You know, and then the the, yeah. the joys and the the high of of Liverpool winning the league and winning Champions Leagues obviously means so much more when you have those bad times and when you have someone to share it with. So I just think it. Yeah. You know, you kind of play down the article a little bit, but I just think if you haven't read it, do it's it's a phenomenal piece of writing and it's just shows what football um is and can be when there are so many more things in life that are a bit shit um and football yeah. brings us together. So. You're from uh, like obviously, I, I, Steve's my arch
0: nemesis, he's Voldemort, and I'm Harry Potter. But to get a praise like that from a soon to be multi award winning author, uh, is quite quite nice, actually. Appreciate it. Um, and and you're right, like the, Liverpool was, was probably Liverpool and my motorbike racing was the only thing that at times kept me and my dad's relationship alive because there would have been times where I don't mind saying this, like. Uh, we'd have practically offered each other out for a fair day, let's put it that way. Um and we would have <laughs> and uh he once hit me in the forehead and my soul left my body which is quite good. Um <laughs> and <laughs> now I was 25, 26 at the time, like I wasn't a child. But um and I did deserve it. But yeah, there was there was times where like we would have went days without speaking and then the next thing uh he'd have sent me a message with a team sheet through and then YNWA on the end of the message, and that was it. Bang. Everything was forgotten about, and and that was our way of of doing it. I'm really weird, really, and this isn't a third session. I still sometimes expect them to text, y- that's why I text other mates now, YNWA when it comes through, but that'll probably leave me at some point. But yeah, no, I, I, I want Finn, despite his best efforts, to. He told me all the other day he to Sport Arsenal. I fucking near lost it. Um, and Jesus he says, Christ. Um, he goes, only Joe Gain. And I think he knows where he's at now, which is worrying because he's only three and a half. But I want Finn and, and his wee brother, who's he's here in what just over four and a half weeks, I think it is, um, to follow Liverpool with me, and then we'll have that. And we'll always have something now, if they, if they don't, they don't. But as I said to Brent before, Brent knows this if they want to support Chelsea, they'd have a granddad and an uncle who supported Chelsea, they could follow. If they want to support United to be homeless.
1: Who the fuck's telling them about Arsenal, by the way?
0: Like, uh, Johnny's sneaking drink. around the
2: house Is he?
3: <laughs> Johnny in the house Yeah he
0: knows Johnny's actually an Arsenal fan um, So he must be doing something Yeah but the, It's it's cool Like you'll have Like the two boys You'll have something with them I'm sure Miles will Miles will probably follow you Because Miles does seem like He's evil already Stephen Well I don't
2: know Miles, Miles ran into the room chatting Mo Salah this evening So I Oh excellent Miles is my new boy now Yeah so he's, he's not staying With what... his grandparents ever again <laughs>
0: Yeah That is Unbelievable Hear that? Um, but yeah, look, it's it, it it's you'll have something, you'll have a bond with them. Everyone will have a bond with them, I'm sure. Eventually, they'll fall into the reader's trap. Um, um, God love them if they do, like, but I'm sure they will. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I would recommend that if you can, like your your children, and then you have something with them because it's just so. It was cool. Like we had that. We spoke about it. it was just like and I was hearing like fathers and sons beside me have the same conversations me and dad, pardon me would have had and how the dad hadn't no a fucking clue <laughs> and the son was educating him basically on what <laughs> what was going on and I was like ah, I remember having those conversations alright but yeah it was um, a great trip, apart from easy jet <clears throat> balls and the whole thing up cancelling my flight and I had to stay a night over in a Halloween themed rock star hotel where the rooms were painted black with skeletons painted on them which is great crack and then, if like getting delayed yesterday morning, but look, I'd do it all again to get over there and, and spend some time around feeling watch Liverpool win. But um, yeah, that I think that'll sort of covers for the football chat this week <clears throat> on the pod. This is Mud's not here, and um, Arsenal bottled it; they couldn't beat Spurs. It is what it is. Um, let the well, the big boys play Spurs on Saturday, so we'll let us take over, Jonathan and William. So he's it's done, hopefully. Um, just get that in there early, Brenton, You were in Italy, as we discussed. Please tell us about the amazing food you had, because that's all I want to hear about.
1: Sarah, honestly, I think that's where I got covid (laughs) Can you get COVID just from eating too much pasta?
2: (laughs) Can you get COVID from the (laughs) Yeah. Hey look, COVID in Europe started in Italy, so you probably can get it from pasta.
1: (laughs) So yeah, he's like like,
2: gonna start a rumor now. <laughs> there
1: will be a headline next. COVID pasta, catch you at COVID. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, so um, we we were in Florence for five days, then Milan for a couple of days, and then finished uh, at um, Sermione and Lake Garda. So. Safe to say by the time we got to Lake Yarda, um I had put on about a bit of stone. Um <laughs> <laughs> we um we actually we ate um very handsomely um in Florence. Um and then by the time we got to Milan for a couple of days, actually the area we were staying in was, was quite nice. So um we kind of did a bit of research on um, a couple of restaurants close to us and we ended up going to an Indian in Milan actually, which um, you maybe wouldn't expect, but it was top notch um, and a nice little change from all the um, other fatty foods that we'd been eating. Um, it was nice to just uh, get some um, a different uh tasting the palate and then what we did was had which I've never had before um we did a pasta tasting menu Ooh, wow. um yeah in Milan which um if if anyone is ever there for any reason I will give you the name of it because I would recommend it so to anyone. What
0: what are you tasting then?
1: So like there was basically like um ten pastas On the menu, and you you could either pick three or pick five. So you pick five, of course, we did. Um, And you basically just like a normal tasting menu, you didn't get like a full plate of lasagna, but like you got their version of each of the sort of dishes. Um, So, like uh, a lovely little square, like I would say, maybe four or five forkfuls of a lasagna for one, which we chose. And then, you know, you're able to wait five, ten minutes and then another lovely little um, like cacio e pepe was one. We we had a um, carbonara. There was one that I'd never tasted before, which was um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like really thin sliced um, pasta with like walnuts and like this um nearly like a sweet sauce. Delicious. Um so that was that was something different and, and really, really enjoyed it. That was the night also that the Milan derby was on. So um the streets were absolutely bouncing with Interfans. Um <laughs> which was great. It was you know you just um we weren't able to get the game in our um in our little apartment before we went out. So um I could tell the score just by the people cheering. Um outside our window there was an inter bar obviously.
0: Was, it, was the city properly buzzing?
1: Oh unbelievably so. Um you could see it from early because we were we'd obviously been out during the day. Um and there was huge amounts of Inter fans. Huge amounts of them. Like I thought
0: Yeah it was their home game, wasn't
1: it? Yeah. But I thought the city would be pretty even, you know um with with obviously them sure in the stadium. Mm. Um but no it, it seemed like um well maybe they were more confident um and turned out to be right because they absolutely destroyed SE. Um <laughs> but uh no that was class to to be there in the city for that. Like I would I'd actually love if I was back and could plan it better to to go to the San Siro because I'm sure it will be absolutely mental. Um, but yeah, it was at least always fantastic. Oh, I
0: the San Siro is on the bucket. Let's think for every football fan. I know you've been there, Stephen. says a shit but when it's redone, <laughs> or when it changes, hopefully it'll be nice. I was just about to um, say it is a shit though. So. Yes, Stephen. For you, uh, hopefully this week you'll hear about maybe some book awards. <laughs> Oh,
2: yeah, I don't want to jinx it. No, I'm not nervous because, like, it'd be like this is not right. So, the book that I wrote earlier this year, it is, um, it was, it's, it could potentially go on the William Hill Sports Book of the Year long list on Thursday. It
0: should be on the William Hill Sports Book of the Year. Uh, that's very kind. I can say
2: it, yeah, that's very kind. Um, Mm. it'd be amazing, like, and, and like, to be honest, that would be. That would be like a a bonus, a massive bonus. Um, and then, yeah, later in October, um, mid October, the Irish uh, Book Awards are out, and like I'm I'm more hopeful for that. But there's been a few like like really really phenomenally good books released, and a few high profile ones in recent weeks as well. Like so, we're a tiny little book, right? You're tiny little book with like a small publisher uh if we were to get nominated for for the Irish Sports Book um that would be unbelievable too like but the William Hill is just like just there was 250 books applied for it last year it's probably more than that this year um applied or were nominated for it um so yeah like it, it, we got featured in a video today on the William Hill Instagram and Twitter pages um with like kelly harrington's book and a couple of high profile uh english um, publications as well uh it might not mean anything in fact i don't think it does mean anything other than where we've a chance, right um and so it would be cool like it would be cool if it if it happened but i'm not um i don't want to get my hopes up for thursday because it's very much like dream world stuff if it did happen look so that's, that's me being modest and uh, trying I not to to do that but I was trying to show
0: Steve. I was trying to show you,
2: because uh, it's on my Kindle as well.
0: <clears throat> um, But like, I don't know, I, I, where, where I'm biased, obviously I think you should be up and winning awards. At, uh, <clears throat> you'll definitely be in the Irish one, obviously. I think you have to. I think it would be very stupid if you weren't. Like, I think, unless you're annoyed
2: people on the panel
0: which is which
1: is extremely possible it's very very possible like one of my one of my arch
2: enemies one of my arch enemies gave me an unbelievably positive review uh i've multiple arch enemies uh, <laughs> but my, miguel None delaney this is me uh miguel delaney described it positively as a sports book unlike any other i've read uh and so if he hates me and he could describe it that nicely well then that's that's surely a good thing, like you know. So, um by the way, I don't just memorize that quote. I was, submitting <laughs> I was submitting something today, and I had to submit some like positive reviews of the book. So that's why I I know it. Um, it's pinned it on your wall. But, yeah, dressing room wall. You know. <laughs> well, look <like>, see, <clears throat> I, it's
0: not I'm not comparing it at all. But I was able to write that blog, that piece. Sorry, in like um, in like twenty minutes because. Uh, it just came to me and then I put on, I have a wee routine. Uh, do you know Interstellar? I do. Yeah. you know the main song from Interstellar? Mm-hmm. Whenever I need to think about something or if ever I'm in the mood to think about like if I'm out in the treadmill or if I'm out for a walk or if I'm out in the spin bike or if I want to write something, I put that song on and put it on repeat. And like, so for instance, that 25 minutes, I've done that. I spent and any an hour on the treadmill one night without even realizing, just thinking of something, with that song on repeat for an hour, and it came out like "beep boo, bee, was Just stuck in my head, but like so writing a book because you're in the middle of writing another book, and you're learning languages and you're
2: doing all sorts of you're trying to. Uh, I'm learning languages together. to avoid writing that book, so it's not that it's part of the book. <laughs> oh, right, sorry. Yeah, and distracting. You're learning in Romanian to avoid writing the book. Yeah. Oh, you don't you don't want to write the book. Yeah, screwed, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Um. <clears throat> Romanian, like, a, what the? F-? I work with a Romanian um, person, so like, it, it oh, chance. nice. Um, nice. But I, it's funny, What's I have it like? like, yeah, everyone knows if I'm writing because I load up Spotify, I load up Ludovico and Audi, and specifically his E.G. Orni album from like the early 2000s, and that's what I'll listen to. And I'll listen to, I'll write from the time the first key of the piano plays its first song to the last uh, song. Then I'll take a break, I might make a cup of tea and then I'll play it again and I'll write during that period again and I'll do my best because what I was doing was like I'd write a paragraph like maybe three four hundred words and then have a little break and I'll go on Twitter, I'll go on WhatsApp but <laughs> you know and I'd reward myself with it and you can't you can't do that like I mean the book is at like it's nearly at hundred thousand words it's it's and it's still not it's still not finished and I, of saying it to to Amy last night like that, I, I, it's a trilogy, right? And so when you're writing the first part, you have to consider, you know, the butterfly effect of anything you do in in this book is oh, going yeah. to knock on into two or three books time, and you want to set things up, you want to foreshadow things, and there's all this complexity to it. Whereas sometimes you just want to write, and so for I started this thing where. For five minutes before I start working on the book, I just write whatever's in my head, and I just write it down, and I just don't try and edit it, I don't do anything like and it and it could be related to the book, it could be about football, it could be about anything, and then I delete it, and I make sure I never go near that file again, no matter how good or bad the writing is, but it's to... Get myself in a place to just write you know and write like I don't want to I don't I don't like I don't want <laughs> to like lean into any cliches about writing um but like it's it, like, I'm, like my day job is writing <laughs> I spend all my life writing um so like you know it'd be like you know I think was it was it Buffon said that he doesn't watch football uh when he when he's not like playing because it'd be like someone working in a pea factory or a bean factory coming home and, and making beans in the evening. And I feel like that about writing sometimes is like starting again, oh God, this is just work. Um, So little things, I think it's, it's getting yourself into the space to just go, okay, yeah. this is creative time or this is book time rather than this is my day job time, you know? And it's little things like you said, the music from Interstellar, for me, it's that Ludovico and Audi album that gets me into space, okay, now I'm writing the book, now I'm doing that work, um, but yeah, it's like, look, there's, it, it's, it's, it's going. it could be a great month, and if, look, if nothing comes from the awards, which is, it's just as likely as something coming from a, it, it's still a best-selling book, it's still the number one sports book in the country, for two weeks as well, um, I'll take that any day, like, you know, yeah, um, and I'm I'm happy with I'm happy with how it turned out. I wouldn't change a thing about like there's a couple of typos in it that I would change and I wish the publishers had a spot as Like I wouldn't change a thing about the structure and stuff like that. Like as I took a huge risk with that. Um everyone told me it was stupid. Even Phil, who the book is about, wasn't sure about it. And that's that's the thing that people are enjoying about it. Like a Phil's story is obviously compelling. I'm not saying it's not. But like I I I could never just write a, a biography. That was I was born, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. I was never going to do that, yeah. and I won't do that with any future ones. Um, but the fact that people got it just meant so much to me. Like, in the, like you know, like a pat on the back is is very close to a kick in the arse and all that. But it is nice when you've put work into something and you get people say nice things about it. Like, that, there's no point in pretending it's not nice. It is. Um, so yeah. And I, I think, I think, like, I'm not saying everyone has a book in them, but I think sometimes people, people miss the chance to just put down on paper what's in their heads, and they should. More people should do it. I agree, hundred percent. I
0: agree. And like, even like Paul Howard being so glowing about it must have been massive too, because obviously <clears throat> he's like, especially an Irish, uh, writing circles like he's like. He's unbelievable, and he he was so glowing about it. He was so buzzing about it, so it's, I think it's brilliant. I think you, you sent to me beforehand, remember? You sent to me one night, and I was like, what the... F-? I thought, the way Steve had sent to me, Brenton, was he hadn't told me who he was writing a book about, so he says he's writing a book, and I read the first bit of it, and it was about, obviously, the injury and stuff, and I was like, hang on, something happened, what's going on here? And I had no clue, <laughs> what's going on? And I was like, what, is Steve... And I was like, oh my God, so I think something has happened to Steve. And he's... and then he was like, no, I'm writing it for someone. I was like, oh, all right, okay. <laughs> but it was the way it was already done. I was like, what the? F-? He never told me about this. And then the thing, so it's its its such a clever way you've done it. Like, I, I was going to ask you, and this isn't the Phil and Brenton uh, interview Steve show, but if you, <clears throat> if you write another sports book, are you going to try and find a new way of doing it? Or are you going to try and tap into... What you've done with this? No, I already and have how two ways. It.
2: I already have two ways. I oh, yeah. um, thought you made. <laughs> and I'm really like that's why I was part, partly what I was doing today was was putting a proposal together, and um,
3: Do you yeah, I, like book?
2: Do you write another book. <sighs> um, we'll see. We'll see. It, it, it's going to need this man to, loves torturing himself. Yeah. There's <laughs> there's two. Just see the, the the what's so the reason. I wrote Phil's book in a non-linear style and as chaotically as it seems initially. And then you actually see that there's a theme for each chapter that ties the past, present and future together. Um, it's because he has a brain injury, right? And he suffered a brain injury. And I wanted to convey the sense of brain injury when, um, when uh you were reading it that you got a sense that this is what life is like you know that something from the past like something from 15 20 30 years ago can be really vivid and something that happened a week ago can be confusing um and that's what we tried to get across with with the structure of that book so i've got one uh, like look here like i'll tell you what it is right it's i'm not telling you who it's about because it's so there is an irish sports person Whose career was completely shaped by the toss of a coin, right? Okay. And it, this book is basically about how I've pitched it is like sport is full of what if moments. Um, so what if he'd lost the toss of the coin? What if it had been tails instead of heads, right? and so what it does is it goes through this person's life story and i've just given away it's to he so that's 50 percent there. um <laughs> like uh, what what would happen if such and such an event had gone a different way and so it's, do you remember the choose your own adventure books from like the early 90s and and stuff like that like where like mm-hmm. you could decide what way you read the story but the book is written like that and it have a name it's going to be called title in square brackets and you get to choose the name of the book um and it's basically give you to try and give an understanding of like predetermination or is it nurture or is it nature and are the tiny moments in everyone's life that kind of make or break elite sports people um, and so it's a kind of different approach. And I, I, I don't think I'm going to give the other one away because I don't think I'm ever going to get a chance to write it. But I, I've spoken to you guys about it before. It's the Rory McIlroy book. Um, where, Clay's read uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Clay's, huh? Clay's read it. I know, it's going to be so hard <laughs> to write it, though. But it's basically it's basically going to be like each chapter is going to be about a shot he took. During that infamous, um, yes, Masters. Not during the meltdown. During the whole four rounds, because there's going to be some positives, obviously. And it's his life story told on the back of what happened during each of those 18 shots. Um, I'd love to write it, but the problem is, like, you need Rory to agree to it. And the other thing is that you need footage of the the, the 2012 Masters. And the problem is, until 2014 they didn't start showing those early rounds, those early groups and things like that. So the footage may not ah. exist. So the only person that can work with is Rory in his notes or Rory's um, caddy in his notes. Um, I'd love to write. I'd absolutely love to write because I think it, I, I'm really happy with the idea. I think it works. I think both ideas are different than any other book that you, you'll read. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to... I wrote a blog post about this before. Like, I look, I think anyone can write a book and I'm not saying that writing a book in a linear style is bad or writing a book in a traditional style is bad. They're just not the books I want to write. I get bored yeah. writing books like that, which is why I'm writing a three-part you know, <laughs> fantasy sci-fi <laughs> trilogy, you know, or you know, dystopian novels. So there you go. 400,000 words a book take. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I, yeah. Look, Lord of the Rings was only, like the first book in Lord of the Rings was only 110,000 words, so... And that feels really long, like so. It
0: does, <laughs> it is long, it is, it is really long. Um,
2: but yeah, that's it, that's I, my I right really so I'm like, giving book. away all my ideas there in the podcast tonight. But I'm the Roy McElroy one, I, I want don't you to write both it. books. There you go. So
0: just wait, how about
1: wait until he wins the Masters yeah. in 2024 and then write a book? Uh,
2: you yeah, see, he's and gonna, then gonna go to quite high. Image is gonna write the McElroy book, even though I should write the McElroy book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually Kimmage is going to write them <laughs>
0: and it's going to be dull yeah it's going to be I forgot really all about yeah. that. Oh, yeah, well that's that's a ruined chance of ever getting Paul Kimmage on the bio, isn't it? um <laughs> another he's, a, he, he's a enemy anime. yeah he's enemy ok how did I know
1: <laughs>
0: like it's so weird because like I get on and have got on well with Miguel and I'll see Paul Kimmage is a hero I've spoken to him before remember Brenton yeah, and Steve hates both of them. So it was meant to be Steve that we were. Uh, <laughs> I honest. don't hate.
2: I, they hate. Me. <coughs> well, they hate me for call calling their bullshit. Reason. Like, <laughs> you know why Miguel hates Excellent. me? Did I tell you this story before?
1: Tell it again for the pod. Sure.
2: I once wrote a fictional live blog oh, of the it was for the twentieth anniversary of Italian ninety, and it was a fictional live blog of using current people talking about how they'd react basically to the, the Ireland game. And I, I wrote Miguel absolutely in the style of his tweets. And he sent like a long email uh, to the editor and contacted me on Facebook and Twitter to complain that I had misrepresented him and um, that he wouldn't have been negative about Ireland when there's literally like a million examples of Miguel being <laughs> negative about stuff, you know, um, so yeah, Miguel. That's why Miguel uh, is 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 not a fan. Um, but he'd obviously forgotten me when he wrote the nice things about Anabang on the year. So um, maybe I'll forgive him and unblock him on Twitter, but maybe not. <laughs> I actually couldn't even retweet his praise because I you know, had a block. Not about
1: what about uh, what about <sighs> Kimmage?
2: Uh, Kimmage, I interviewed a guy, an Irish guy. He was the former Dublin GAA sports psychologist, and he went over to work with San Francisco 49ers in the NFL. Um, and I interviewed him in, say, the like November, like so. You know, we were trying to put together pieces during the NFL season or whatever when I was about 42. Um, And in January, as the playoffs were kicking on, Kimmage had a big article with him um, in the Sunday Independent, and he went on News Talk to talk about the article. Um, And he started making these statements about how, like, this shows you how bad Irish journalism is, that nobody has talked to this guy before. Um, And Richie McCormick um, said to him, oh, that's not true. Like, you know... um, Steve O'Rourke in the 42 um, had an interview with him um, a few months back. Like, and it's a really good, really informative piece. And Kimmage basically was silent for like a couple of seconds. And then was like, Oh, well, I'm sure he tried his best. <laughs> um, <laughs> and basically what had happened was he'd been caught out in a lie. And so instead of like just owning it, he like, so clearly he'd read my piece. Like if he was waiting, if he was able to say, Oh, he tried, I'm sure he tried his best he clearly read it, so then why make a statement that nobody had had interviewed this person, Like you know? Um, and anyway, as it turns out, your man, it was the guy we, interviewed, we both interviewed, was turfed out with the 49ers for getting drunk at Christmas party. Um, so, you
1: know. <laughs> so he, all the articles disappeared. <laughs> it didn't,
2: didn't end up well for him either, like, you know? Um, but yeah, so that's why Kimmage is on my uh, is on my radar. Um,
1: God, as um, as Pace's with McIlroy are so good though. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: they are no, they are good. But like, why why go to him to write his book? when it's going to be just those pieces recycled, you know. Yeah. Um, and look, perfect Like the thing about like the thing about uh, I'm joking. Like when I'm saying that, right? Because the thing is, to get the to get the best out of an athlete for a book like that, they have to trust you. You know, they have to trust you. Like I, I remember doing. Um, uh, when Scott Evans, the badminton player, uh, retired, we it was supposed to be like a really quick ten minute chat. Tell me like what you're going to do now when you're retired. Three hours later, we were still talking. Like I got one of the best pieces I've ever written um, out of him, um, and it was because we'd done an interview before, and he was really angry with RTE because he the World Championships were taking place in Scotland. I think he was in it. He had a good chance to reach like the knockout stages. And R.T. didn't even send like a radio reporter over, never mind a TV camera. And I think the piece was the, the piece at that time was called like Scott Evans is Angry, uh, which obviously, you know, like a fairly inflammatory headline and, you know, got got ticks or whatever like that. But he was happy with how I portrayed him in that piece. And so when I got to talk to him about his retirement, he started talking about his depression, his struggle with mental health, loads of different things that he'd never spoken about before. And that comes from a place of, of trust and, you know, the ability of, yeah. like, you know, if I was to tell, like, if I was to, to say, tell Phil, like, and you, you, you know, you guys know a huge amount about me, like, if you were to write about me for any reason, like, I trust you that you deal with, like, the weird shit compassionately, like, you know, and it's stuff yeah. like that, I think, with, with, with Kimage and McElroy, McElroy, has been burned by the press. I think he was too open in his younger years and stuff. Um, and obviously the whole stuff around Caroline Mosniaki and, and that as well. Like I think he got really, really I think he's bounced mm-hmm. back really well from that considering how he was being portrayed in media during that as well. But I think trust is is massive. And the thing is if you can get if you can get someone's trust and you get someone to to tell you everything, not just the bits that they want broadcast like 90% of the conversations I had with Phil in our book was me saying yeah Phil I know that makes you sound good but that's not what people want to read, people want to read about the struggles and they want to read about like you know the, the challenges that you face, no one cares about who you were riding when you were 21. Like, you
1: know. Um, <laughs> can I but just say, say it, but...
2: it's not me
0: when he keeps saying Philby. Yeah, yeah, sorry, <laughs> Phil, 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 Phil that wrote the book with. But,
2: but that's the thing, like and, and, and that's yeah. the, the job of the journalist is to say and it's such a hard thing to say to someone, to say that's not interesting. You know, and the Kimmage does that with McElroy, yeah. and I think that's what he does really well with McElroy because you can see it because they do the Q&A format sometimes as well where like mm-hmm. you can see Kimage saying to him I don't want to talk about that that's not interesting like you know um yeah. and I think that's now and I'm ranting now so sorry but I'm so against the Q&A format in every situation except when Kimage does it because I think I think most times journalists do it it's to show how clever they are Kimmich tries to show how clever he is in every article, so he's not just doing it for that reason. He's doing it because it's the best way to get the interview across. Um, yeah. And so yeah. yeah, there's 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 loads there's, but yeah, like I think yeah, McElroy... I think that's the McElroy is the big one, isn't it? Like I'm, I'm trying. It's probably maybe a whole podcast discussion, but Irish sports stars and their autobiographies and their, or their biographies hard to see bigger than 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 um. Than McIlroy really on the world stage like you know, mm. maybe Evan Ferguson when he like wins the treble with Man United in five years <laughs> time like, but... yeah, when the world ends <laughs> um, <clears throat> I
0: agree, I think at the minute sports stars are, are alive anyway um, I don't think there's any bigger uh, across the world in Ireland than obviously Rory because of what, how golf's exploded and
2: what he's doing at Cop, but
1: especially when he wins the Ryder oh, Cup here yeah,
2: Sorry, yeah, I, that, I think but... <laughs> I think there's a. I mean, Rashida Adelecki has a chance as well. Like, obviously, athletics yeah. is huge, and I think she's got she's got a good chance stunning, at a medal in Paris and stuff. So, like, I think there's potential coming. But right now, McElroy is absolutely the, and she's so and young. Like, there's she's Katie to too. Katie too. I don't know if Katie's would be that interested unless I she's unless she's it. absolutely honest about. The relationship with our dad and stuff like that, like that's yeah, what's gonna that's make the, that, that interesting.
0: Thing everyone will want to hear, they yeah. want to hear what's happening with us because yeah. we all love better gossip too. 100 human nature, like, yeah.
2: Um, no one cares about bank account, really no one cares about medals collection. Nope. We want the gossip, you know. So, yeah, so there you go. So, um, that that turned um, out into a very long way to answer yes, nope. it would be nice to get nominated for that award on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.
0: Um, before I cough myself to, to uh into a serious accident here Serge I think we'll end the podcast this week um, we shall be back next week after the next round of games um, what's going on obviously the Carbide Cup is <coughs> so um, there's also a league coming up the weekend I think it's game 7 on Premier League this year yep. but um, yes folks thanks uh, for, obviously thanks for me for all the, the comments on the written piece it's quite nice it's quite good thank you very much um, As get all our podcasts on, across all your podcast apps, Twitter and Instagram as well. I just see all the posts and links going up there. Um, like, and subscribe, tell your mates and enjoy this weekend, this week's football, your team's playing and this weekend's football. And as always, um, I hope your team's loose.
2: Can I give a shout out to it's Ryzo really week. quickly? Yep. Ryzo, yes, ruptured, quickly Ryzo, Ryzo ruptured his Achilles uh, playing five a side this week. Um, So he'll have loads of time to listen to the podcast and critique us. I hope Um, it has fallen completely off. That's what I hope That's That's harsh. The poor man has to suffer Man United, the Raiders, and now the rupture the Achilles, and this is what you're doing to him? Um, He's suffering the Mets with me, although he threatened
0: to stop watching the Mets, but I'll just wreck his house if he does. (laughs) But yeah, um, I hope, Rezo, if you're listening to this, that your actual foot is hanging off like a thread. This is what happens (laughs) when you go (laughs) into
2: your 30s. You know, he was fine until he hit 30 and then...
0: I hope you can never walk ever again. Oh, Jesus that's right. <laughs> listen to this, Rizzo. That's what I hope has happened to your leg. I hope it is completely wrecked. Okay, that's perfect. He'll love that. Folks, see you again next week. Good luck.